Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. We humans produce a lot of waste. It's the result of how we live our modern lives. Every day, we buy stuff only to discard the wrappers, boxes, and packaging. But after we throw these things away, they end up in landfills like the one in Murfreesboro. That landfill could reach capacity in 10 years, maybe sooner. So what can we do to avoid becoming Trashville? Later this hour, we'll talk with environmentalists and city officials about how to properly take out the trash. First, before we proceed with our show as planned, I want to take a moment to apologize for something that happened on air yesterday. We interviewed drag queen and LGBTQIA advocate Veronica Electronica, who's been a regular guest of ours. We invited her to talk about the temporary injunction on Tennessee's proposed ban on drag shows. In the live interview, we asked Veronica about whether the news around last week's shooting had affected plans to protest the anti-drag legislation. We learned later that Veronica had requested not to be asked about this. We had a miscommunication in our production process, which is how this question ended up in our script. We'll talk more about this on our weekly feedback segment on Thursday, but we wanted to take time now to apologize for this mistake. Now, while it's true that we were understaffed last week and the news cycle has been unforgiving, that's no excuse. The line of questioning was insensitive. We look forward to continuing to rectify this in upcoming shows, including this week's At Us segment. Now, it's time to take a little journey with Curious Nashville. Today, we're tackling a question that we are sure has never been reported on in Middle Tennessee. It's about a possible space capsule that a listener named Ginny Yeomans spotted in the woods during a drive out to a farm in Hickman County, a little over an hour west of Nashville. On the way back, we had two sheep and a a cage full of chickens in the back of the pickup truck, and we saw this thing as we went by, and I told my husband, wait a minute, stop, we have to go back and look at that. So he backed up, and we looked, and we couldn't believe it. So Ginny asked Curious Nashville to look into it, and that's the whole idea behind this special project from WPLN, which has been fielding your questions for seven years now. My next guest helps hears those questions and helps figure out the answers. Tony Gonzalez produces the Curious Nashville podcast. Tony, welcome back to This is Nashville. Hey, Khalil. Love being here. It's great to have you here. So we actually first mentioned this space capsule on the show about a year ago. It was one of the questions that we told people was in the works. It has taken some time, but tell me about this odyssey that reporting on this has been. Yeah, right. So um, the question actually came from Jenny in 2017. Uh, we get a, you know more than 100 questions a year, and you know we can't answer them all, but mm-hmm. this is one I definitely had my eye on as far back as then. Uh, we actually did some reporting on it, uh, myself and a contributor, Paula Ramirez, uh, in late 2019. Uh, so, you know, Ginny had sent us the question asker. She had sent us a photo of the, the uh, quote-unquote space capsule 
Uh, we could see like a NASA logo on it. I, I mean, and I should just describe it. It's like this big white barrel looking thing on the side of the road, okay. uh, tapered at what I mean, it looks like what would be at the end of a rocket, like taking astronauts into space. Mm -hmm. uh, so we had this picture. Uh, we did get a little disrupted by the pandemic, as you can imagine, uh, a little cut off there in 2020. But uh, there was just no way I was going to let this story go unfinished. Now, you know, on a lot of these questions, you're starting from scratch. You don't know who to talk to. You m might even have the answer. But tell me, so what did it take to start to find this answer for Ginny? Yeah, that's right. I mean, in, in typical news stories, you might just know, like, the official department to call up or look up the legislation or whatever. But, yeah, for these, uh, we often are starting without any clue. Uh, and in this case, there was like nothing online. Like we were searching, we were Google searching. We looked at Roadside America to see if there was anything about this space capsule. Uh, there was really very little. We did find one Reddit post, hmm. uh, Reddit thread, the, the website with like one photo. But again, it was just asking, we saw this, what is it? So again, it was sort of like a, the same same question. Uh, we started to get some ideas, Paula and I, like we were thinking like, is this a sculpture? Like, a, is it an art project, some mm -hmm. kind of prank or something like that? And Paolo was able to find that there are some other, uh, I guess I'll call them like pretend NASA space capsules in some other states. So, you know, we started kind of getting some clues like that. And then uh, kind of the breakthrough, Paula started making calls into Hickman County. We saw that, you know, there were several farms uh, in the area where we thought this thing was. Uh, so we started to, to make a little bit of headway when she started making those calls. It occurred to me, like, okay, I don't know a ton about Hickman County or about Coppell, Tennessee, but maybe if she's buying sheep, it's a more agricultural place, and, it, and it'd be likely that I could find a farm or something like that. And so then I, I started researching farms on this road specifically, which was Sulphur Creek Road, and they got back to me almost immediately. It was within an hour, I think, they said, not only have we seen this, it's five minutes from our farm and we've CC'd the person who we know did it and like they'll be in touch if they want to be. So that's like a little excerpt from the from the podcast version. Mm -hmm. And you can see, you know, so she gets an email back with some information, which sounds easy, like because she got such a helpful response. But I thought it was really smart of her to be like messaging some of the local you know, businesses there that she could find. It was also really reassuring to know that we weren't just going to like hit a dead end, like get, you know, no information about the space capsule. It also just was really clear then we were going to have to go out there uh, to see this thing for ourselves. OK, so you went to see it together. You got recorders, cameras. You end up on a dirt road in Hickman County. I want people to hear what it was like as you checked it out. Let's listen. hard to tell how old it is because it's clearly been here for a minute. It's kind of dirty. Yeah. It's got like this nice, there's, there's some rust. That like squiggly on the top. I wonder what that's all about. What it reminds me of visually is like what termites do to wood. I could see how if you drove past this, you might think that <laughs> that a capsule had fallen. It's really believable. All right, so you're out there. And then Bruce, the person who was mentioned to you by email, he meets you there on the road. So before we go any further, I think it's time for a spoiler alert for our listeners. If you plan to listen to the entire podcast episode, stop listening and go do that right now. All right, so it's live at WPLN.org slash curious. Consider yourself warned. All right, Tony, 
What really is the thing going on? What really is this thing on the side of the road? Yeah, right. So so I can tell you it is something that has never been to outer space. Sorry to disappoint. Okay. Kind of the opposite, really. I was hoping. Uh, yeah. Oh, and you know, I'll, I'll show people like the pictures of this, uh, of the object. And I'll say like, basically no one can guess what it is. Like when you first look at it. <laughs> and if you're told it might be a space capsule, like you kind of lean in like, oh, it's probably a space capsule. Okay. So in truth, it is not a space capsule. Sorry to break it to you. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is that it is a cement truck mixer hmm. that had fallen off a truck in a crash. Uh, Bruce had like the whole story he told us. So this happened back in 2010. Uh, keep in mind, this is like a dirt, a winding dirt road, very curvy. There was a car coming and a cement truck coming toward one another uh, a little too fast. They swerved to avoid each other. The cement truck crashes into this little marsh off the road. And when that happens, as I understand it, I'm not an expert, but the concrete like hardens mm. before you can possibly like move that. So now you've got like the biggest, heaviest concrete thing sitting there uh, in the marsh. So they kind of leave it. Uh, now, of course, that's how the, that's how it got there. And then it, there was a family who lives nearby who saw this as like a cool, uh, saw a lot of potential <laughs> in what this thing could become. Okay, so that's what this thing is. And so you've answered that. But there's always another layer. You wanted to understand why this old cement mixer got transformed. What was Bruce's motivation? Yeah, so Bruce Howard, uh, he and his family. So Bruce, I mean, he's definitely like a little bit of a prankster. Like he he was a little coy with us as we started to kind of get to know him. Um, but there's also some deeper layers here. Uh, we come to find out Bruce actually used to work for something called the NASA Classroom of the Future. So huh. like this was all of, yeah this was like a classroom program like all about instilling like a love of science and kind of adventure adventure engineering into young people. So like he and his family they just they love learning. I mean they're I mean it's perfect. They're like curious people. They think that learning can be really fun. Uh, so so that's how they kind of they decided to do something kind of for the community there. They had also considered some other ways to decorate it. They had thought about making it into a giant orange carrot because okay. it, it is kind of carrot shaped. Mm -hmm. Um, but I thought it was pretty fitting when they, they settled on, like, the space theme for this particular family. All right. The Howard family, they all took part in decorating this object. What's their story? Yeah, so the Howard's uh, family with uh, six kids, they had actually just moved into that area in Hickman County, like, right around the time of, of the cement truck crash. So this kind of gave them, like, a quirky thing mm -hmm. uh, to do together to kind of announce themselves to the neighbors uh, I've, I've, you know, they actually told us they've done other little pranks, like made some funny street signs and just, I mean, they, I don't know, they're kind of the characters, uh, on the block. Mm -hmm. Um, but they do point out, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of other like entertainment in, in their part of the, the community. They're like 45 minutes away from even like the nearest Walmart. So they have to find other ways to kind of make community connection. They're very connected to their church, uh, and, and just, uh, kind of building community however they can. Uh, I do want to mention one of the best surprises for me in, in meeting the family was talking to their son, Josiah. He's 10 years old. If you do the math, uh, he was just a baby yeah. when this whole thing happened and when they decorated. So when we mentioned this, uh, so, so when Bruce mentioned it, he had had this funny realization about how young Josiah was uh, when the family did this project. We think that he thinks it's an actual spacecraft. <laughs> 
we were talking about it this week. And you just said some things that didn't quite match up. Uh-huh, and like, like when it fell from the sky. <laughs> Feel free to ask him some questions about it and see what, see what he says, because we don't know. <laughs> Mama said, um, do you even know what it is? And I said, yes, it's the thing where when the spaceship launches, it detaches and comes back. And I was, and I thought it crashed down there. And basically, my whole life, I basically thought that. <laughs> until when? Until I, um, until today. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think this just says a lot about the the family and how ingrained like the space cap. Like for them, it's just like part of their part of their landscape but then they realized that one of their own children didn't realize that it was uh, kind of a made-up thing all along that's a good job of decorating all right so the case is closed right tell me how does it feel to finally have answered such a u- unusual question for curious nashville yeah right so it's been it's been several years in the making uh you know paula mentioned uh one way that it felt for her as the reporter like she was worried that when we first started that this was just going to end up being like a little like graffiti kind of just like one off and like we would never find anyone. Instead, she finds like the Howard family. So like uh, she's really kind of glad that there's some like meaning behind this and, and community. And then for me, I mean, yeah, I've been working on it a long time. Uh, I actually was going to mention uh, my daughter is five now. Mm-hmm. So she's been like hearing me mention the space capsule all this time. And just by coincidence, we ended up going out and taking a look at it like a couple weekends ago, um, and I recorded my daughter Lily uh, and what her thoughts were. So we have a little clip of that too. Wait, is this not even cement? This only dirt, like just muddy clay dirt. It's called a dirt road. Oh my goodness! Can you describe what we're looking at? We are looking at a space capsule that actually evolved from a crash. The cement truck fell over on its side, but when the Howards moved in, they decided to turn it into an opportunity. Yeah, she knows the whole story. It's ingrained. She's taking it with her. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just awesome when these Curious National stories take us somewhere new and surprising, and it's because our listeners ask us awesome questions. That's awesome. Hey, don't be surprised if Lily wants to become an astronaut. Could happen. Could happen. Tony Gonzalez leads our Curious Nashville project, which answers your questions about Middle Tennessee. You can now listen to the full adventure of looking into the space capsule in any podcasting app. Just search for Curious Nashville. You can also see photos at WPLN.org slash curious. Tony, thanks for coming on to the show and giving us this update. Yeah, you bet. Thanks you. Thanks. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll explore the growing problem at our nearest landfill and ask, what can be done about our trash? Is your life being affected by the Middle Point landfill? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. If you make trash, 
you better have somewhere to put it. For decades, that has been landfills. From all appearances, that method has worked. But has it? A lot of us take our trash and don't really think about where it goes. Out of sight, out of mind, right? But for people in Murfreesboro, there are daily reminders that our trash problem is growing. Murfreesboro is home to the Middle Point landfill. That's where our household trash ends up. According to experts, that landfill will reach capacity in 10 years, maybe sooner. That is not the best news for a lot of, and a lot of people are really, really worried. My next guests are two such people. Scott Banbury is a lobbyist with the Sierra Club Tennessee, and Dr. Jeremy Aber is a Murfreesboro resident and a member of SOCOM, the statewide organizing for community empowerment. Scott, Jeremy, thanks so much for being with us, and welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for having us, Khalil. Really appreciate yeah, it's glad to be here. Appreciate having you both. So, Jeremy, you live in Murfreesboro. Tell me, how far do you live from the Middle Point landfill? So I live a little over a mile south of the landfill. Um, it's on the north edge of town, but um, it doesn't really matter where you live in town if the wind is coming from the north. I mean, that's because pretty, <laughs> d- describe for us what it's like to live so close to the landfill. So, I mean, you know, most most days it's it's just you don't think about it. You know, it's, it's out of sight, out of mind, which is part of the problem with our trash and how we handle it. But, you know, when the wind spins around or in certain atmospheric conditions, we end up with a really, really overpowering, oppressive odor. Mm. Um, the first time I smelled it, I thought I had a serious gas leak and I was afraid the house was going to blow up. But no, someone said, no, 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 that's just the landfill. It just smells like that. They said it so nonchalantly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just part of daily life. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Kansas and in the town I grew up in, we had a, uh, a cattle, you know, Tyson facility. And so you just, you just learn to live with these smells, but, um, it's, it's not something we enjoy here. No. Well, you know, tell me what your fellow community members, what are they saying about how this landfill is affecting their lives? So, I mean, you know, if you, you think about like you've got a uh, let's say you've got a birthday party planned for your for your your child or a, or a partner or friend and you're going to you're going to have it outdoors, you're going to have it at the park, you're going to have it in your backyard on the porch. And then the day rolls around and there is this just outrageous smell and you just can't spend time outdoors with it because, it, you know, it really does get in the way of people's day to day lives. Um it doesn't seem like it would be that big of a thing, but it's just so unpleasant to be around when when the smell is there. And it, it, it is worse the closer you are to the facility. So people who live in Walter Hill, just on the north side, they smell it virtually every day, unfortunately. Mm. Now, now, Scott, one of the problems with the Middle Point landfill is methane leaks. How bad is that issue? I mean, it, it's pretty bad. So uh, Middle Point has been breaking the rules for a little while in terms of how much methane leaks out of the landfill. And the solution has been not necessarily to fix the problem, but just smear some dirt and clay over the leaking areas and, you know, test it again. And when they test it again, it looks better because they've put clay and dirt on top of it. And that smells not coming out anymore at that particular location. Hmm. The bigger point though is, is that most of this methane is being generated by the organic materials that are being put into the landfill. And, and when we look at what we, we, we know goes into the waste stream in the United States, you know, we could cut out 
upwards of 60, 70% of those methane causing organic materials, food waste is like 20 to 25% of what goes in the landfills, wood that could be chipped and uh, turned into better products is six to 7%, yard waste is 12%. All those things could be diverted from going to the landfill, composted and actually put back out onto our farmland in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And mode agriculture you know um, which th- those are a lot of the problems we have but tell me you mean how how long do experts estimate that the middle point landfill will remain functional I, I, i'm told that it's closer to five years five years and so unless we figure out some way of diverting a large amount of this material plastics 12 percent, glass four percent metals nine percent unless we divert those into recycling streams, we've, we're going to have to have a new landfill. And people in Murray County right now are fighting hard to stop a 380 plus acre landfill from being built on the, you know, basically the banks of the duck river. Mm. Um, And so some people's solution is, Hey, just dig another hole and throw all the trash into it. The better solution is figure out how we can divert anything and everything that is recyclable, reusable from that landfill waste stream and into productive reuse, reutilization, supporting local industries that need mm-hmm. need these materials, metals, plastics, mm-hmm. uh, now, be able to support jobs in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Jeremy, you've made it a point to understand some of the science around this issue. Tell, tell us, how does our terrain play into how landfills interact with our groundwater. Yeah, so that's actually a really big concern about Middle Point is that we have, um, here in Middle Tennessee, we have what we call karst geology, and it's limestone bedrock. And um, as I'm sure many of the listeners are aware, we have lots of caves in the area. And that occurs because the limestone is, you know, eaten away over many thousands of years by water and chemicals and things, you know, just as part of natural processes. So ultimately what that means for us in this case is that if you dig underground, you're going to find a lot of rock that's full of holes. And those holes allow water and, you know, chemicals and impurities and pollutants to transfer through the groundwater very rapidly and often in very unexpected directions because we don't you know we don't have a map of where this these holes are necessarily but it's very easy for pollutants to move their way through the groundwater to make it into the stones river you know to make it into our um you know the aquifers that we draw for wells and and so on and so on and so you know, with a sanitary landfill like Middle Point, there is always very much a risk that the um, materials used to line the base of the landfill could become penetrated. They could be degraded over time as, you know, various materials in the landfill chemically interact. Um, And so there is a very real possibility that that liner has been you know, degraded or damaged in some way over the past 30 plus years that mm. the landfill has been in operation. All right. So and that would be a very, yeah, very easy path for pollutants to potentially get into the groundwater. We have to worry about contaminants being released below our feet and in the air, right? Yes, because so, I, you know, I mentioned the odor and of course the odor is a real problem for a lot of people. Um, there, there's no denying that. But in my mind, you know, 
I can live with a bad odor sometimes. That's not the end of the world. My concern is more about things that if I'm smelling that, that means there is stuff being released from the landfill into the atmosphere. And a lot of the stuff that's really, truly, you know, unhealthy for us doesn't have an odor. And so, you know, we don't know what's involved with that. We know, of course, there is methane, like Scott had talked about, and other potential pollutants. But, um, you know, when you just imagine all the stuff that gets thrown in the trash, and now imagine all of that stuff just being mashed together, you know, you have unexpected, unanticipated chemical reactions, and that can create gases that can be... You know, some may be benign, others may be very unhealthy for us to be breathing. Now, tell us about aluminum dross and what that creates. Yeah, so the aluminum dross is, um, it's its a known thing, and it's a recent, sort of a recent discovery here at Middlepoint. But aluminum dross is essentially all of the aluminum byproduct from industrial activities. So if you work in a factory that you know, cast things in aluminum or you're recycling cans or whatever, you end up with some scrap stuff that can't be used. And that is considered to be um, non-toxic. You know, it's not hazardous waste. And so it can be dumped into landfills. Well, I, you know, uh, within the last couple of decades, experts have realized, well, actually that aluminum metal underground, when it comes into contact with water and other materials, it creates those chemical reactions like I was talking about, and that creates heat. And so you have a situation which is, you know, the, the, the city of Murfreesboro has been involved with, um, you know, ongoing lawsuits with uh, 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 Middle Point Landfill and the operators for public services. The, they have had experts come out and say, yes, we, we know there's aluminum dross. It's spread throughout the landfill. And what's happening is that the heat created by those chemical reactions is creating what is considered a um, an underground or subsurface smoldering event, which is a very fancy way of saying that there's a fire burning underground in the landfill mm. and it'll just keep burning. <laughs> and underground the, the implications fire. of that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it's scary in and of itself. Just hearing that, you know, an underground fire. Um, it makes you think of places like Centralia, Pennsylvania, with the coal fire there. But the the implication here more immediately for us is that that increased temperature, uh, that smoldering event, it, it causes the materials to break down more rapidly. And in some case, it may cause materials to break down that wouldn't have broken down otherwise. That leads to increased outgassing. So more gases emitted, more you know gaseous materials escaping of unknown quantities and qualities and you know just stuff we probably don't want to be breathing. No. And it's enhanced by that. I'm sure none of us want to be breathing any of that. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking this hour about our growing waste problem with Scott Banbury and Dr. Jeremy Aber. Join the conversation and tweet us at This Is Nashville. Now, my next guest has been working to develop solutions to our trash issue. Kendra Abkowitz is the Chief Sustainability and Resilience Officer at Metro Nashville, Davidson County. Kendra, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Khalil. Excited to be here. Happy to have you with us. So, you know, we know that Nashville has been rapid. It's a rapidly growing city for quite some time now. I mean, more people means more trash. But is this problem solely limited to our city? 
It's not, Khalil. Um, we, it's actually a regional issue. So the Middle Tennessee region, I think, um, is grappling with extreme growth. And as you noted, with that comes more people, more generation of waste, more construction, more development, um, and the necessity to dispose of that waste in different places. Well, talk to me a little bit about development. Like when a building is demolished and they want to put up another one, a lot of waste is created. How has constant development and construction added to the issue? Again, with in significant growth, um, we've we've really seen um, increased construction and demolition waste. So right now, that's about 33% of our waste stream um, in Nashville. The national average is about 25%. So we're slightly above that national average. Um, and again, higher proportion of our waste is construction and demolition waste. Um, about 304,000 tons went to the C&D landfill. Um, but we also know that some of that construction and demolition waste does go to the municipal solid waste landfill. So, um, so again, seeing significant increase there. And so part of our plans moving forward are to really target that construction and demolition waste and break down its components so that we can divert those materials that do have uh, end markets and secondary markets away from the landfill. Okay. Now, now, Scott, what have officials in Murfreesboro proposed as potential solutions for waste management? Scott, you with us? Well, we're gonna we're gonna move right along. We'll, we'll hear from Scott in one second. You know, I'm 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 wondering more about the Middle Point and other landfills. You know, some people say we should just. Makes them okay. We have Scott back with us. Scott, can you tell us what officials in Murfreesboro propose for potential solutions for waste management? So the project they're looking at right now would actually divert all of the municipal solid waste from Murfreesboro to a process that would kiln dry it, shred it, feed it to anaerobic digesters, and/or pelletize it for energy production. But the problem there is, is that you've got all kinds of things mixed up in the trash of Murfreesboro. It's, it's not clean. And so any of those processes are going to result in either sludge byproducts left over that are toxic and or air pollution sources in the community. Um, and or we'd be exporting our trash problem to places like Alabama. Murfreesboro is considering selling these resulting fuel pellets to uh cement kilns in Alabama. And, and again, we can divert a lot of this material to real recycling and reuse as opposed to throwing it into the ground or into the air or into the water. Talk to me more about what it means for trash to be not clean. I mean, I thought trash well, is not clean in general. I mean, it's not clean. I mean, think, Khalil, about what you maybe throw into your garbage can and how much of that, you know, is, you know, containing toxic products and whatnot. Um, you know, again, there's some streams that are fairly clean, like the food and the wood and the yard waste and whatnot that could be taken out of that landfill destined stream or energy pellet destined stream. And, and turned back into the soil to make, you know, a healthy agricultural economy in Tennessee. But there's a lot of stuff going into that trash stream that is not clean, it's dirty. It's got chemical additives to it that, um, you know, once 
processed by rules in Tennessee that aren't really that protective of human health, you know, we've got concerns. And so, mm. again, I mean, let's not make stuff that needs to be disposed of in the landfill or via other processes. Let's turn that into return it into productive soil and uh, continue growth in Tennessee. I hear you. Now, you know, some people say like a problem, a uh, solution for the problem at Middle Point and other landfills is just make them bigger. But tell me, is that a practical sol solution? I mean, so, I mean, the problem that we're seeing in Murray County right now is that people see the writing on the wall. Middle Point's going to shut down in five years. Let's open up a new landfill that's even bigger than Middle Point, right on the Duck River, the most biodiverse river in the world, some people say. Mm. Um, certainly the most biodiverse river in Tennessee. And you can have all kinds of problems from operating that landfill in terms of runoff, in terms of, uh, as Jeremy was talking about earlier, uh, infiltration into our karst, uh, into our groundwater, which would then go to the river and or to people's drinking water wells. Um, and that's just not the long-term solution for this stuff. The long-term solution is keeping stuff out of the waste stream. Sierra Club this year introduced with uh, Senator Heidi Campbell and Representative Tori Harris, the Tennessee Waste Reduction and Recycling Act, which would cause the producers of packaging materials, which make up a large amount of what goes into our landfills, and that's packaging from the pallet and pallet wrapping on up to the you know jar or box that you buy at the grocery store, have those uh, folks that produce that material be responsible for the cost of disposing of it. Put money into our rural counties, into our municipal waste programs, that allow them to do the right thing and keep this stuff uh, out of that landfill waste stream. Scott Banbury is a lobbyist for the Sierra Club Tennessee. Scott, thank you so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Khalil. Dr. Jeremy Aber and Kendra Abkowitz will stick with us through the break. We have to take us, when we come back, we're gonna look at some potential solutions to our trash issues. What will work? How can we do things differently? And what are your suggestions? What are you willing to do to help reduce our waste issues? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Le Colonna, and this is Nashville. This hour, we're talking trash. Before the break, we were discussing our problems with garbage here in Middle Tennessee. Our landfills are filling up fast, and with more and more people moving into the area, they're only going to fill up faster, unless we do something about it. So what are some solutions, sustainable solutions that will protect the environment and protect us? My next guest can help to answer those questions. Jen Harmon is the Zero Waste Program Manager at Metro Water Services. She joins me now. Jen, thanks for being here and welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome to have you. The MTSU professor, Dr. Jeremy Aber, and Chief Sustainability and Resilience Officer for Metro Nashville, Kendra Abkowitz, are still with us. Thanks again to both of you for being with us today. So, you know, we're talking about solutions to our waste issues. 
one way to solve the problem is to just stop doing the things that cause it, right? I mean, Jen, how can we reduce our reliance on landfills? You're absolutely right. Uh, If we're not generating, if we're not creating waste in the first place, then we don't have to manage how we dispose of that material. And so um, Metro Nashville has adopted a zero waste master plan that aims at reducing our reliance on landfilling over um, the next few decades to put into place strategies that really follow uh, the waste hierarchy. So the EPA put out a waste hierarchy where you you all have heard the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle. And they're in that order for a reason for um, the benefits that they provide to the environment, to our community. So don't create waste in the first place. How can you refuse materials? How can you reduce, then reuse, then look to recycling before we ever even look to landfilling? Okay, so talk to me about recyclable materials. Like what are we throwing away that can be reused or recycled? Quite a bit. Um, So there's quite a bit of cardboard that actually still goes to landfill. When you go and and look at these facilities, you see a lot of this highly recyclable material. Cardboard is a big one. It's also one that um, has a, a good market. I think it's important when you talk about recycling is that recycling doesn't happen because you throw it in a bin. Recycling happens because there's a processor and a producer down the line that is turning that material into new goods and products. And cardboard is one of those highly recyclable materials. But we're also looking at a lot of glass, for example. We don't currently accept it in our curbside program. We're working to change that. Um, But that's a lot of material that is infinitely recyclable that is still going to landfill. Okay. Talking about cardboard, I shop at Aldi. And so I take those cardboard boxes home. I don't throw them away because one day I plan to build a gigantic cat castle. At this point, it'll probably be bigger than my house. But, okay, so talk to us about food waste. Like, how much food are we throwing away? Uh, Again, quite a bit. I think I heard a statistic earlier about 25%. We're actually looking closer to 23% um, of all of our waste. But residents as individuals, uh, our households are throwing away about 30% of their waste is organic food waste. And a lot of that's good food as well. It's not just, um, you know, your banana peel or some of the scraps that aren't maybe as usable anymore. It's good food. And one in nine people in Nashville are food insecure. So there's a lot of opportunity with food waste, one, to see how can we better prevent food waste? The Nashville Food Waste Initiative is a wonderful group that we work with uh, that is working on a lot of those prevention opportunities. But then there is composting as well. You can compost at home, and and we're excited to be um, embarking on a new pilot program coming up. We're just starting to to develop it and strategize to uh, pilot food scrap collection at the curb so that we can get that material out of landfill. So so the goal would be to have kind of uh, food scrap stations throughout the city where people People can just take their the remnants of their food and place them there? Uh, well, we do have four locations where you can drop off food scraps at all four of our convenience center locations. Um, that's at no additional charge. So you can bring your food scraps there. You can bring um, your compostable serviceware if you have that as well. But the goal would be to incorporate curbside with our current recycling and current trash programs to incorporate food waste into that, where we're collecting that at the curb. So having a pilot program to understand what are the logistics around that? What's the education? that's needed because education is really important with all of this. Now, you talked about education. Kendra, you know, how do we change the culture around waste and recycling? What what messages can people use to convince themselves and their communities that something like composting is beneficial to us all? Right now, unfortunately, I think we live in what's called a 
take make waste uh, society. And I think we have to change the messaging to um, recognize the inherent value. Um, so the energy, the labor, the materials, everything that went into creating a product. Um, and, and again, preserving that value by um, reintroducing it into the marketplace. So Jen spoke about circular economies and um, and recycling and having markets and, and products. And um, I think, again, really recognizing the economic value, but also the values beyond that, the co-benefits um, that are baked into those products is really important. You know, I know each of us as individuals can take control over the waste that we put out into the world, but is that really enough at the end of the day? It's going to take a uh, partnerships and collective action on behalf of us as individuals, but also the private sector um, and institutions. Uh, Metro Nashville has done a great job of leading by examples. We have robust recycling um, and are introducing composting in many of our facilities. So we lead by example there. Um, but again, it's also going to take the commercial sector taking bold action um, to also do their parts. I think there's a lot of opportunity for producers of products to take more responsibility um, of throughout the life cycle of the products that they introduce into the marketplace. Well, you know, the commercial sector often responds to the consumers. Jeremy, tell me, how can we convince business businesses to take stronger action? Well, I wish I had a, a magic solution to do that. But <laughs> yeah, I think there are things we can do. Um, certainly, you know, uh, like it's been mentioned, I, I think it does take it, it does require collective effort. You know, if I go to the store and I say, hey, why can't you package this better? They're going to go, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. But, you know, that's why we do have, um, you know, groups um, like the one I work with, Sockham, that, that advocates for and organizes around these kinds of issues to try and push for a real uh, larger systemic sustainable change. So, yeah, I mean, we have, uh, there are things like the Tennessee bottle bill that's been um, floating around for many years now to attempt to um, recover more glass bottles and keep them out of the waste stream. Um, as individuals, of course, we still have things we can do. You know, you look and you see what are, what am I purchasing? You know, are there, are there options that have less packaging? Um, you know, can I find fresh produce that isn't shrink wrapped in plastic, you mm -hmm. know, things like that, of course. And obviously you, you as an individual need to uh, participate in the, the options for recycling and composting that do exist. So, you know, and it, for listeners in Nashville, of course, you do have some curbside pickup. You do have the food waste drop off points that have been talked about. Um, in Murfreesboro, unfortunately, we don't have those options. We have to pay a private company to do our curbside pickup. So um, I think there's always room for uh, uh, advocacy and uh, organization of just everyday normal people to, to speak with our local leaders, to demand better behaviors in these regards, to, to push for better solutions. You know, basic fact of life, we need clean air, clean water, and quality food to survive. Jen, in what ways can we ensure that we don't waste water? That's a really good question. Um, 
there's a, a lot of things that folks can do to, to make sure that they don't waste water. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of those little things that you all hear about, you know, when you're brushing your teeth, turn the faucet off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one thing that uh, folks don't think about are leaks in the home. Um, you know, is your toilet running? Is your faucet dripping? That little bit of drip uh, might actually end up being gallons of water that you're wasting. It's also money in your pocket that you're wasting. Um, so it's important to kind of be monitoring your home for those things. So those are just a few tips that I have for for water. Awesome. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about solutions to our waste management issues with Kendra Abkowitz, Jen Harmon, and Dr. Jeremy Aber. Tweet us your thoughts for solutions at This Is Nashville. Now, people have a lot of different feelings on how to deal with garbage, but I know that most of us do not like wasting money like you were just referring to, Jen. Kendra, can you tell us how much money we waste by not handling our trash in a sustainable manner? A significant amount. Um, as mentioned before, um, when you look at the energy, labor, and the raw materials that go into creating those products, if we use them only once, right, and sometimes those products may have a longer lifetime, sometimes they might have a shorter lifetime, but if we use it, use it only once um, and then throw it away, that's essentially throwing all of those resources um, out the door, but then there's also a cost associated with um, disposing of that material. So there's a cost associated with collecting it. We have um, our, our, our contract service uh, to collect those materials. Um, and then there's a cost associated with transporting it, um, you know, from your home um, to a transfer station and then from a transfer station eventually to a landfill. And then obviously that long-term cost of disposal. And that unfolds over and over and over. And so when we don't think about opportunities to um, reduce the amount of waste that we're sending to the landfill, all those costs are adding up. And so again, by trying to, um, again, reduce consumption, um, but when um, when possible, also reuse, uh, that's a much more uh, economically um, efficient way uh, to value those resources by reintroducing them into the economy. Mm-hmm. Now, we got a message at thisisnashville.org from Cynthia Will it quote, I heard of a city that sends an extra bill to residents who don't have anything in the recycling when they have trash that could help extend the life of the landfill. And with barcode technology, the truck could scan as it picks it up End quote. Jen, what do you think of this idea? It's actually a really popular idea that you're seeing uh, develop across the country in a lot of cities. A lot of places have done this for a long time. So it's a, a way of um charging for trash and recycling collection in a way that incentivizes folks to compost or to recycle. So you're paying for how much waste that you're creating. And it, it it's more akin to how a utility might be run. So for example, like your electricity, you get paid for how much electricity you use. Same with waste. If you know, you're only putting your trash can out maybe once a month, but your neighbor is putting out three cans every day, there's a real difference there in terms of all the resources that Kendra just talked about and the costs associated with managing that. Um, so it's one of the, it's a uh, a strategy that is included in our zero waste master plan to explore, to evaluate how could we implement something like that here in Nashville. And we're starting those research phases. I mean, talking about culture and incentivizing people, I can see someone being awarded the Nashville composter of the year. Have a big celebration. I think that would be awesome. Now it's 2023. We've got AI and robots that run doors and they can give us chatbots and all that stuff. What technological solutions are out there that can help us with our garbage problems? Jeremy? 
Well, I mean, we we obviously have better better capacities for handling certain materials than we did decades past. Um, I really do think that um, most of this problem is not not. This is something I talk about a lot in my classes at MTSU. That a lot of our problems here are not necessarily technological problems; they're more cultural and political problems. And you know, we we have examples of how we can do things differently. This is not an unsolved question. You know, we have, for example, the city of San Francisco diverts roughly 90% of its solid waste stream to either recycling or composting. So we have, we have very good models for how to do this. It's just, it, it requires, um, you know, the political will and the, uh, uh, to, to allocate the resources necessary to do this properly. I, I'm always a little bit skeptical when someone says, oh, we have a magic solution that's gonna solve the, the waste problem. Um, because there are always some externalities, it turns out, that they're not accounting for when you get to the end of the equation. Now, Jen, do you have any tech ideas? Yeah. At Waste Services, one of the things that we are doing uh, is looking to explore how we can better utilize new technology that is coming out to make our uh, systems more efficient, our uh, drivers when they're out there picking up and collecting material. Uh, we're looking at, uh, can we use artificial intelligence to understand what types of materials are going into uh, the truck? Are they the correct materials? Um, so those are some opportunities for us to improve our efficiency, which improves costs, uh, as well as help us connect what residents are doing so we can provide more direct education um, with uh, with those residents. We have just about a minute left. Kendra, considering where we stand now, but we're also keeping an eye on the future, what kind of shift are you hoping to see in how we make our approach to our waste management issues? I think two two main things. One is um, shifting, again, from that take-make-waste culture to one that, again, thinks um, as the primary option as um, reducing um, and then reusing. So creating that circular economy um, and no longer um, seeing landfilling as as that primary and sort of first choice option. Um, and then secondly, I think we need to uh, think about this uh, in the mindset of seeking regional solutions. So I mentioned earlier that this is not a problem that's unique to Nashville. It's more of a middle Tennessee problem. And so um, having all of those local governments, both public and private sector and residents come together and think collectively how we can come up with larger um, solutions, um, I think is really where we need to move with this. Kendra Abkowitz is the Chief Sustainability and Resilience Officer at Metro Nashville Davidson County. She was joined by Jen Harmon, is, who is the Zero Waste Program Manager at Metro Water Services, and Dr. Jeremy Aber, member of Statewide Organizing for Community Empowerment. Thanks to you all for being with us today. And thanks for the work that you're doing. Thanks for having us. Thanks. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we'll preview the new symphony from visionary composer Hannibal Lukumbe. This is Nashville. It's a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Farouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The master minds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out a quick survey online. This Is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>